0: sir I'm one of these guys everything's got to be square with the world so let me get this thing over here like this a little bit when I was in Oklahoma we uh, remodeled our our sanctuary and and I had a cross pulpit and it was actually built where it just slid down in the floor and then when you wanted to have a wedding or something you just lifted it out and put something in to take its place well I told the (sighs) ark sorry i told the, the builder i said look if that pulpit is not exactly is that am i doing something okay okay uh i said if that pulpit is not exactly square in the middle that's going to drive me nuts <laughs> So i said i mean i don't want it over here don't want it, i want it right there and sure enough he, he got it that way um share something kind of amusing with you uh you remember my story last week about linda and the uh uh, little service station uh a guy called me last night and he said there was a guy in church last sunday that heard your message and uh he said he he tried your method of evangelism this week he said it didn't work because her name wasn't linda it was margaret I missed the point there just a little bit, but I'm sure he said it in jest. Well, let me say something about, time, about next Sunday. Next Sunday, more people will be in church than any other Sunday of the year. And a lot of them are going to come out of curiosity. A lot of them are going to come just because they think you're supposed to come, on, you, know, you know, because it's Easter. A lot of them that come are going to be needy so one of the things I would emphasize to you that I used to emphasize to Highland is don't dress up next Sunday. Don't feel like you have to wear you know, something really nice because there's a lot of people out there that don't have nice clothes that won't come to church because they think you, to come to church you have to have nice clothes. When I grew up as a, t- uh, as a boy in j- junior high school, I had two shirts. I wore one one day, and then my mother washed it, and I wore the next one. So every other day I wore the same shirt. And I was self-conscious about going to church because I, well that, well I wore that shirt last Sunday. they're going to remember I wore that shirt, that shirt last Sunday. So uh, I remember uh, I think I was in like maybe the fourth grade. At that time we were living with uh, my grandmother. Because the truth is, we didn't know where my mother was. We didn't know if she was in jail or we didn't know if she was in hospital. We didn't know where she was for for a very long time. And so we spent some of our growing up uh, with uh, my grandmother, grandfather. And we were across the street from a big Methodist church there in south side of Fort Worth. And on Sunday mornings, I used to go out and sit on the curb thinking somebody from that church is going to come by and invite me to go to church with them. But you know what? Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they walk by and smile at me, but not a single person ever invited me to go to church. And, uh, you know, my sister is here again today. Even. She'll tell you, we grew up kind of poor. No, oh, we didn't grow up kind of poor. We grew up poor. We used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick everybody else's fingers. (laughs) I mean, we were were hungry, as we used to say. But uh, anyway, next Sunday will be a very special Sunday for a lot of people and I'll be praying about it and you pray about it. You know, today is Palm Sunday and this is the day we normally think about uh, Jesus' crucifixion and then uh, some denominations will say, well, this is, this is Holy Week between now and next Easter. And, uh, you know, I think we, we consider every week to be Holy Week. And we consider every Sunday to be Resurrection Sunday. But um, have you ever stopped to just really contemplate and think about what is the message God is trying to convey to us through the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus I mean, what, what, is, what is he trying to say to us? When I look at the cross and I think about the cross or meditate upon the cross, two, two things come to my mind. Number one, it's the greatest expression of judgment that I've ever seen. God is going to judge sin. Sin will not go unpunished. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And when I see Jesus dying on the cross for my sin, I see Jesus paying the price for my sin. He's taken my judgment. But on the other hand, when I look at the cross, I see the greatest expression of God's love I've ever seen. God himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, did for us what we could not do for ourselves. His holy judgment and righteousness demanded judgment on sin so he took that for us on the cross and if somebody were to ask me well can you can you summarize the uh, the the meaning of the cross in, in in one sentence yes i can god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life it goes on to say for god sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. I love baseball. I love, I've always loved baseball. I played baseball and I was a little eager. I pitched and played center field. And I love to watch baseball games. But you ever notice that the baseball games inevitably somebody hold up a big sign says John 3:16. Somebody out in left field, center field, John 3:16. What are they trying to say? They're hoping somebody will see that and maybe not know what John 3.16 says and go over there and read it and find out that it's a message of God's love. There was a Swiss theologian many years ago by the name of Karl Barth, and he spoke internationally. He, one time he was speaking at Princeton University. Before I share what he shared, I, I, I want to tell you something. Did you know those Ivy League schools were all created to be uh, Christian schools? They were. I was at the First Baptist Church in Boston, Massachusetts one time, and I, I noticed there was a plaque on the wall. I went over and read the plaque, and it said, our, our pastor was the first president of Harvard University. Let me tell you how far down the tube we've gone since that day. The president of Harvard, I mean, I'm sorry, the chaplain of Harvard University today is a professed atheist. He wrote a book recently entitled Good Without God. Now, can you imagine sending your child to college to be if they need spiritual help going to the chaplain and the chaplain telling them there's no God. We had a young man at uh, Baylor a few years ago and he was very bright. And uh, he wanted to go to Princeton. Uh, those, those schools still have uh, seminaries, Harvard and Princeton. And so uh, he said, I, I, God's called me, I wanna, I wanna minister to intellectual people. And he had that gift. Uh, so when he came back during the holidays, I said, uh, "What? what uh, how was uh, Princeton uh, Theological Seminary?" He said, "Well, the, the the dean was a lesbian." What's happening in the North is coming toward the South. It's becoming a lot like Europe up there. It's, in fact, let me go back to my my. my uh, trip to First Baptist Church there in Boston. It was a big auditorium, probably sleep about 1,500. (laughs) I was waiting for you to get that. (laughs) Uh, Kind of reminded me of that big room out at Baylor. And so all at once this man came walking through and looked kind of like he was important, had on a suit. So I said, excuse me, sir, are, are you the pastor here? And he said, yes, I am. I said, well, you have a beautiful facility here. I, I said, um, tell me about your church attendance. He said, last Sunday we had 37. And an auditorium, that probably would easily seat 1,500 people. Well, let me go back to Carl Barth for a moment. He, so he spoke at Princeton Divinity School And when it was well, I'm sorry, it wasn't the seminary. It was it was the school. And when it was over, there was a time of Q and A, question and answer. And and one of the students, I said, Doctor Barth, uh, my question to you is this: What is the deepest, most profound theological thought that you've ever pondered? Without a moment's hesitation, he said, "Jesus loves me. This I know." Or the Bible tells me so. See, that's the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that God loves us. Martin Luther said it's the gospel in a nutshell. If there's only one version of the, in the Bible, just one verse, if it was John 3, 16, there's enough gospel in that one sentence to save the entire world. I like to break down John 3.16, and when you break it down, it goes something like this. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world the greatest company, that he gave the greatest act, his only son the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity, in him the greatest attraction, should not perish but have the, but the greatest promise but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty eternal life the greatest possession or you can break down John 3:16 like this it's 25 words in John 3:16 the first 12 deal with God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten the last 12 words deal with men his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The, the center word in that is, is son. Jesus Christ is the center of John 3.16. He's the center of Christianity. You take Jesus out of Christianity, you don't have it. You simply don't have it. Well, as we look at that verse this morning, I want us to see a few things. First of all, it speaks of God's passion. God's passion. God so loved the world. That speaks of passion. You know, uh, I've got two children. One lives in Oklahoma. One lives here in in Lorena, actually. And my my son uh, calls me probably three times a week, maybe, sometimes every day. But every time that uh, I say goodbye, I always tell him, son, I love you if something were to happen to me, uh, I'd, I'd want him to know that the last thing his dad ever said to him was that he loved him. But look at what this verse says. It doesn't just say God loves us. It says God so loves us. That's a special emphasis. I don't say to my son, son, I, I so love you. I guess I could, but that's what God said. God said, I so love you. And the neat thing about it is he loves us just the way we are. We don't have to change for God to love us. I, I told you before, I didn't get saved till I was 20 years old. And there's probably two reasons for that. Number one, no one ever shared the gospel with me. I had friends that went to church regularly and they claimed to be Christians. But no one ever said to me, Barry, I want to just share with you uh uh, what Jesus did for me the second reason was I didn't have any idea I, I thought really I had to clean myself up first and I said well I'll quit telling dirty jokes and quit cussing and you know, quit trying to think about bad things and, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll clean myself up and then God will accept me no God accepts you just the way you are He loves you too much to keep you the way you are. He will change you, but he'll change you after you come to him and not before. So he's passionate about us. You know, when I love people, I like to spend time with them. I like to spend time with the people that I love. God loves us and wants to spend time with us. If probably we ask God, God, what what do you want from us? I I think he'd say, I just want your time. I just want some, some time with you. Then it speaks of God's gift to us, his only begotten son. You know, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And look what it says about him. It says he gave his only begotten. We don't use that term, only begotten, very much today. And what does that mean? It means God's unique, no one like Him, no equal to Him. That's who He gave. He didn't send an angel, and aren't you glad He didn't send a committee? <laughs> he sent His Son to tell us, "I love you," and I want to I want to give you a gift, and that gift uh, is salvation. And because He came Himself in the person of His Son Jesus Christ, and he, He gave of himself. He gave everything, including himself. You know, maybe God said something like this. I'm going to demonstrate to you how much I love you if it kills me. Because it did. It did. In a counseling session one time, the man kept saying to his wife, I don't know why you're so upset. I've given you everything, I've given you a nice home, I've given you a car, I've given you nice clothes, I've given you security, what more could you you possibly want? She said, I want you. I want you. I wanna feel like you've given yourself to me. Again, that's what God did, he gave everything, including himself. Then it speaks of his proposal. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What does it mean to believe? But notice it says, uh, whosoever. Several years ago, many years ago, really, I took sign language to learn how to talk to deaf people, and it would be this, everybody, anybody, anybody. You know, I could never be a Calvinist. I've got a lot of friends that are Calvinistic, and Calvin, Calvin, uh, Calvin doctrine, Calvinism, believes that they're in what they call limited atonement. That God only, is, uh, before time, decided who He's going to save. And that's the only people he's going to save. But, you know, I couldn't believe in a just God if he, if he did that. A God, he would not be just if he did not give a person an opportunity to believe. But that's what they teach. They teach that there's, God's already decided who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And when I was in Tulsa, I had a group of uh, men in my church who were very Calvinistic. They wouldn't go witnessing. They said, well, why go witness? So I was going to save who he wants to save anyway. I said, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. You go with me and let's share Jesus with people. And if we, absolutely, if we win a non-elect, I think, we, I think he'll forgive us. <laughs> but what does it mean to believe? It, it's more than head knowledge. I think a lot of people are gonna miss heaven, unfortunately, by 18 inches. They're gonna miss it from right here to right here. Oh, intellectually, oh, I, I, yeah, I believe that Jesus uh, existed. I, I, I even believe he died on the cross. But you see, that, that's information, but it's not transformation. To believe in Jesus causes transformation. One of the biggest lies I think has ever been told is this lie, and a lot of people in America believe this. If you believe in God, you'll go to heaven. If you believe in God, you'll go to heaven. Do you know the Bible doesn't teach that? The Bible says there's only one name given under men, whereby man must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. Did you know the Bible says the devil, ble- <laughs> the devil believes... In James, it says, thou believest that there is one God, you do well. The devil also believes and trembles. But you see, the devil believes in God, but he's not going to be in heaven. Because to believe in God means more than just giving God intellectual assent. It means to trust him. It means to submit yourself to him. I've had people over the years ask me the question, Barry, what's the best translation of the Bible that's the closest to the Greek? I don't want to study Greek. So is there a translation of the Bible that really brings the Greek out? Yes, it is. It's called the Amplified Bible. And here's what the Amplified Bible says. If you believe in, trust in, and rely in on the Son of God, you will be saved. That means under new management. Sometimes I'll drive by an establishment, especially a cafe, and the cafe will have a sign on the door or something. It says, under new management. Now, why are they telling you that? Because you ate there one time, and it wasn't very good. And you say, boy, I'll never go back there again. So it's telling you, hey, you know what? When you ate here last time, it was a different management. We are under new management. Try us again. It means we uh, have a, a CEO over our life, and his name is Jesus. Have a good, uh, if you've ever seen the show Undercover Boss, about three weeks ago, the Undercover Boss was from Waco. He's a friend of mine, and the whole purpose of that is to try to, you know, find out what your employees are doing, but them not knowing that you're the boss. But you know, God wants people that know us to know He's our boss. He's our CEO. We look to Him. It means that we cannot save ourselves. One of the things I've discovered in almost 50, well, 50 plus years of ministry is this. It's easy, now listen carefully, it's easy to get a person saved. What's hard is getting them lost. They're not gonna get saved till they realize that they're lost. So we must realize, to to believe in him is to realize that we are separated from God. Our our sins have separated us from God, and we cannot save ourselves. We trust that we've come short. As a matter of fact, the word sin is the Greek word hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. It's it's like a marksman's uh, target. Uh, You know, there's a bullseye, then there's 75 and 15, 25. And someone says, well, man, you know, I hit 75. Well, Well, I missed the whole deal. I mean, I missed the whole deal. But did anybody hit the bullseye? No. That's what sin means. It means you have missed the mark. We've not lived up to God's expectation. And Jesus Christ is the only person that could do that. He did that for us. So that when we trust him, God receives us into his family. That's not me, I hope you know that. I'm not sure what that is, but uh, okay. It also speaks of God's promise, shall have everlasting life. I listened to a program not long ago that was a, a, they weren't Baptist, but there was a Bible study. They actually made fun of Security of the Believer. They said it's a hellish doctrine to believe in Security of the Believer. But what they don't understand is what does the word everlasting life mean? How long does everlasting life take? Is it 10 year? Is it 25 year? Is it 50 years? And they actually said this, that you can get saved and, and lose it and then get born again again. book of Hebrews says, "'It's impossible those who were once enlightened "'and tasted the heavenly gift that they should fall away "'to renew them again to repentance, "'seeing that they've crucified to themselves "'the Son of God and put him to an open shame.'" When I got saved, it, uh, it blew the beer right out of my refrigerator. It changed my life completely. And I wanted to know, well, what, what, what is this that God has given me? And so in my limited ability and my limited knowledge of the Bible, I started doing a word study. And I looked up the word salvation. And I discovered that there's something that is synonymous with the word salvation in the Bible. And You know what the word what was? It was the word eternal. It was the phrase eternal life. So, to, to say that God saves us, and Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to abide with you forever. To, to say that we can lose that, that Satan can draw us out of the family of God, would say that Satan is stronger than God. Now don't misunderstand me. The, 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 doc, the, the uh, term security of the believer can be very misleading because some people have the idea, just because I walked the aisle took the preacher by the hand and got baptized that I'm, I'm going to heaven. No, there has to be that transformation on the inside. You have to be born again. But once you're born again and God's spirit comes to inhabit your spirit, he comes in to stay forever. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither should anyone pluck them out of my hand. For my Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. Paul said, I am persuaded neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hell will separate you from the presence of God. So I'm, I'm thankful that when Jesus saved me, he put his spirit in me, and that spirit is gonna reside in me forever. But when we're saved, we're saved for eternity. It's called eternal life, and that's what God offers us. I also saw this. I saw that every time... That, that that word it mentions God's love. It mentions Christ's death. Almost every time it mentions Romans 5:8, for God committed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2:20, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So the question becomes: Then how do we accept Christ? How do we receive Him? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So salvation involves, number one, repentance. It means I come to the place where I realize, you know, the word repentance is kind of like a military term, about face. You're going in this direction, and and they say about face, and you turn, and you walk in that direction. That's what repentance means. It means I'm going in one direction, but when I repent, I turn and go in his direction. So we have to repent. The Bible says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so we repent. The next thing we do is believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God. Believe that he did what he said he would do, that he would die on the cross. Believe what he said he would, uh, would do for us if we confess our sin and receive him, that he will forgive us of our sin. And, and it, it, again, it involves a, a, an acceptance of him as our savior. Again, Romans 10:13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means a change. I have an older brother. He's very intelligent, uh, has a master's degree in computer science. When he was in the military, he was in the Pentagon. From the Pentagon, he went to the White House staff. He served under Reagan. I remember one time he went into President Reagan's office and said, Mr. President, my, mother, my grandmother will be 80 this week. Would you sign this uh, uh, birthday card? And he signed it. And my grandmother got a birthday card from President Reagan. So he had that ability to go into the present. uh, uh, But when he got saved, he came to my church and gave his testimony. He said, it took me two years to get this clearance. And he had this little card. He said, with this clearance, I can go into the very presence of the President of the United States. And he said, it took me two years to get that. But he said it took me about 10 seconds to get out on my knees one day and said, Lord Jesus, would you forgive my sin and come into my life? And now I have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, he got radically saved. Uh, (laughs) When he got saved, one time we lived in Sulphur Springs. He built a cross and he filled his pockets with tracks. And he left from the square, he was gonna go all the way out to Walmart, and every time he passed somebody he was gonna share a track with them. Well, somebody from his very conservative church that thought that was not something you probably shouldn't do, they pulled over to the curb and said, Ronnie, what are you doing? He said, I'm just telling people about Jesus and in my way, I'm just taking this cross and passing out tracks. The next week, the associate pastor of the church called him and told him not to come back. They probably did him a favor. We don't want to be in that church anyway. But it means to confess him openly, openly. Jesus said, if you'll confess my name before man, I'll confess your name before my father. If you deny my name before man, I will deny your name before my father. And so when we're saved, we want to confess that. That's why sometimes we ask people, if you're here today and you receive Christ, would you come down to the front? And, just, and doing so, you're, you're confessing that you've accepted Jesus as your, as your Savior and Lord. I remember when I got saved uh, in my apartment, but when I, I felt like I needed to make it. And I was sitting on the back row of a church twice as long as this one. But when the invitation came, I practically ran down the aisle I wanted people to know that I had accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And I follow him in believers baptism. One of the reasons I don't like infant baptism is because infant baptism is kinda like getting married before you fall in love. You don't get married so you can fall in love, you get married because you're in love. And uh, So baptism is what we do after we receive Jesus Christ. Paul said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are baptized into Christ Jesus? So, he goes on to say that we're, we're buried in the likeness of his death and we're raised in the likeness of his resurrection. So baptism is an identification with Jesus Christ. And it's important, I think, very important for us to do that. And then sharing with other people. You know, we, we never know really who's watching us and who's looking at us and who's listening to us. I remember years ago, uh, I, I worked in a grocery store and uh, one day on, a, uh, I was on the square in Sulphur Springs and this young man that was a class under me walked up to me one day and said, Barry, I wanna, I wanna thank you for something. And uh, his name was Mike Jackson, my, my sister will remember him. And I didn't remember ever doing anything for him. But he said, I want to thank you for something. And I said, "Uh, okay, what? (laughs) He said, well, I heard about a year ago that you got saved. He said, you don't know it. But I've been watching you every day at Brookshire's. And I've seen a tremendous change in your life over the last year. And I want you to know that because I saw that change in your life, I've accepted Jesus and He's now my Savior and Lord and He became a pastor also. So we never know who's watching. I want to close with a story that I heard. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was in Alcatraz it is one weird place. I, don't want to, I wouldn't want to be there, believe me. The cells are five by nine, very small. And uh, you're not going to escape from Alcatraz. Well, here's my point. There were two twin brothers, identical twins. I've got two nephews that are identical twins, and they're 48 years old, and I cannot tell the difference today unless they're with their wives. I mean, they're identical twins. Well, these two, people were, these two men were identical twins. One of them grew up to follow Jesus. He became a, a strong believer. The other one rejected Christ and uh, went into all kinds of bad stuff. Finally, he did something that uh, not only put him in prison, but it put him in death row. His brother, brother, uh, his brother pleaded with him to repent that Jesus would still save him and forgive him. And then when he died, he'd get to go to heaven. And so he actually went there, not Alcatraz. I don't think they executed Alcatraz. But he went to the prison where he was to be executed. And they let him go back there where his brother was. And the next morning, his brother was to be executed. And he pleaded with him to accept Christ as his Savior, but he wouldn't do it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, then would you do me one last favor? What? He said, trade clothes with me. Trade clothes with me. And in a minute you can walk out of here free man. And I'll take your place tomorrow in the electric chair. And the brother being greedy and you know, he he did that with his brother. He took his brother's clothes And in a little bit, he walked out of the cell of a free man. And the next morning, his brother was executed for something he didn't do. Folks, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He said, you trade clothes with me. I'll go to the cross. I'll die for you. I just want you to accept me. Accept what I did for you. That's why we call salvation a free gift. You can't earn it you can't. You just have to receive it. Now I realize in a service like this that probably most of the people here have already done that. But if there's just one person here today that hasn't done it, it's worth giving an invitation for that person. Give that person an opportunity. So if you're here today and you say, well, Mary, I don't, I don't know that I've ever asked Jesus to come into my heart. I don't know that I've ever really, really been saved. You know what? You can settle that today. You can settle that today. You can invite Jesus to come into your heart. He'll forgive your sins. He'll give you a new life. He'll give you a new start. But you have to do it. I can't do it for you. If I could do it for you, I would. But I can't do it for you. But here's what I can do. I can't pray for you to be saved, but I can pray with you to be saved. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that I will pray a prayer if the prayer that I pray expresses the desire of your heart. You just don't know how to say it yourself. If you'll pray that prayer with me to God, He will hear your prayer. He will come into your heart this morning, and He will forgive you. He'll give you a peace that the Bible says surpasses all human understanding, and He'll give you a brand new life this morning. How would you like it to know that you could walk out the door of this church in a few moments as if you'd never sinned? Would that be great? That's what you can do because you know what? Jesus took all your sins to the cross. And if you'll accept him this morning, you can walk out the door of this church in a moment as if you've never sinned. Would you bow your head with me?